0: And our reading this morning is taken from St. Mark's Gospel. If you'd like to follow it in your church Bibles, you can find it on page 1004. We're reading from chapter 3, from verses 7 to verses 19. Page 1004. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him, from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Roger. Well, I wonder uh, if I was to say um, the words, pressure, pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man asked for, what might you say next? Or you might go, do, 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 (laughs) do, do. Under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on the street, it's by Queen and David Bowie under pressure. Jesus was very much a man under pressure, immense pressure. And we need to maybe uh, pause and ask why. Two main reasons. First, he has these repeated run-ins and clashes with the, with the religious leaders. But secondly, he has pressure because of his popularity Let's just recap the story um, so far as we've been running through Mark. First pressure from religious leaders. In Capernaum, he forgave the paralytic his sins and the religious leaders um, accused him of blasphemy. Then he dined with questionable characters, the tax collector who was in the pocket of the occupying Romans, and that was a great scandal. Then... He was uh, accused of not following the rules. Rules about fasting, rules about the Sabbath rest. And the religious leaders were filled with, with hatred. Even to the point of plotting with the Herodians to kill him. And that was a great unholy alliance. The Herodians and the Pharisees coming together. They didn't like each other particularly. And yet they came together to kill Jesus. See Jesus is under pressure from religious leaders, and now we see there's the pressure from his sheer popularity. People pressing towards him from every direction. See, people either hated Jesus or they hailed him. Pressure from both sides. So what does he do? Verse seven Jesus withdrew with his disciples he withdrew let's pray god our father as we look at your word now we pray that by your spirit you teach us pray that you'll help us to see who you are and what you've done for us that we may know how we can react under pressure for we ask in jesus name amen So the pressure of popularity, that's the first section, verses 7 to 12. Do keep your Bibles open at page 1,004 as we look at it together. Even though um, Jesus withdrew, um, notice verse 7 tells us that this large crowd just seemed to catch up with him wherever he went. You get the sense of just how big this crowd is by the different places that people are coming from. They're coming from Judea, Jerusalem, Idium, and then up from the coast, Tyre, and and Sidon. And some commentators speculate it could have been as big as 10,000. Certainly in its thousands, this crowd. There's a lot of people, a massive people, a lot of response to Jesus. So great was the crowd, verse 9 tells us, that the disciples had a boat ready for him. A bit like, um, I suppose, sometimes we talk about, you know, keep the engine running outside in case we have to jump in and make a quick escape. There was physical pressure from the crowds, um, but there surely was emotional pressure, mental pressure too. We might Wonder at this point, why does Jesus withdraw? Um, Surely this is the moment. The large crowd, the moment to go global, as it were, to go viral. Um, And yet, he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do this? Well, it's not why he came. He came, as Mark reminds us, back in chapter 1. not for popularity, but to preach the good news of the kingdom. The need for repentance and belief in him. But the truth is, Jesus' words held little attraction for the crowd. You see, what they really wanted was to experience and see were all the healings and the miracles. But Jesus would not allow that, not even allow popularity and success To get in the way of his primary mission, his primary goal. And it made me think a little bit about us here at St. John's. You know, we we might be in some ways popular or successful in the world's eyes, the crowds might come. But keeping the crowd happy uh, and trying to meet all the needs of people um, can actually distract us from our main task of what Jesus has called us to. Jesus was definitely a man under pressure, pressing down on him from all sides. Verse 10 uses the words pushing forward to touch him, literally almost to fall over on him or to jostle him. Then we see further pressure coming as impure spirits were drawn to see Jesus, crying out, you are the son of God. But instead of Jesus sort of drawing on that as further evidence of who he is he is the son of god he actually commands the impure spirits not to tell others about him might seem a bit strange to us surely that you know mark begins this is the good news of jesus christ the son of god maybe surely he should draw on that as evidence to who he is and his identity But you see, his time had not come to show the world the full extent of who he is. Because as Jesus shows us who he is, he also shows us why he came. Which of course is to do with his death and his resurrection. It might be a little bit easy for us to skip over this section. Skip over how frenetic and intense this crowd uh, must have been for Jesus surely he's the he's god and therefore he could just cope with it yes jesus is god 100% god but let's not forget that he was also man 100% man and therefore he really did feel the immense inescapable stresses and pre- uh, and pressures the stresses and strains of Everybody centering on him. You see, this means that Jesus does really understand us because he was a man. He understands our humanity. He understands what daily life is like. He understands that it, what it's like to be harassed and, and under pressure. I came across these uh, these this excerpt from. Uh, Anne Lindbergh, you, you might remember Anne Lindbergh, she was um, a, a poet but also um, she was one of the founding uh, uh, people in aviation um, at, at the um, the first half of the uh, 20th century and she wrote this about her life and I, you can uh, get the feel of it for your own life and just how frenetic it is. She said, The life I've chosen as a wife and mother entrains a whole caravan of complications. It involves food, shelter, meals, planning, marketing, bills, making the ends meet in a thousand ways. It involves not only the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, but countless other excerpts to keep my modern house with its modern simplifications. Electricity, plumbing, refrigerators... Cookers, dishwashers, radios, TVs, Wi-Fi, car, and numerous other labor-saving devices functioning properly. It involves health, doctors, dentists, personal trainers, appointments, medicines, trip to the pharmacy. It involves education, spiritual, intellectual, physical, schools, conferences, extra trips for football, rugby, orchestra. Tutoring, camps, camp, equipment and transport it involves clothes, shopping, laundry, cleaning Mending, letting skirts down Putting them back up again Sewing buttons on Or finding someone else who can It involves friends, my husband's My children's, my own And endless arrangements to get together Letters, emails, birthday cards Invitations, telephone calls <sighs> And it goes on and Jesus does understand this. He understands what it is to be under pressure, because we see it here. He understands, in a sense, the more we care, the more pressure builds up. Whenever we are under it, we need to recall Jesus is ministering to the crowds. So pressured was his life, he had the car running, the boat Running by the lake, as it were. I don't think they had engines, but you get the point. Oars. Um, to get a. Why do you have it running? To get a quiet getaway, isn't it? And we need to see the Lord Jesus here, and understand what He's doing. He withdrew. How does he manage the, the pressure? We, we see a little bit more of that in verses 13 to um, 16. Managing the pressures. Look with me at verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Jesus went up on the mountainside. Jesus, first of all, he got away. He um, got a, away by himself, alone. Um, I was remembering that my daughter Phoebe talks about going to her room for some lonely time. Um, It's not to be lonely, but to she just gets muddled up to be alone. Jesus needed to be alone. In the parallel passage in Luke six, you're going to have a look at it. uh, He says he went to pray to God all night. We all need this alone time. Such as uh, a desire uh, sometimes seems um, strange, doesn't it, in our culture to have that alone time. You know, anything else will be accepted by people uh, as a better excuse for not doing something else. Um, If we set aside time in our diaries for business appointments for uh, whatever it might be um, shopping or haircuts or whatever it might be those those things are sort of acceptable and seen as untouchable but if I say I'm afraid I cannot come out uh, for that hour and do that thing that you want me to do is because I'm going to have some alone time with God sometimes people might oh, seen as a bit Maybe egotistic or or strange or or somehow rude, but it is the time that we need to carve out. We we wake up, don't we, in the morning to the sounds of alarms, um, to mobile phones. We get up, get the kids ready. We jump on a bus or a, a tube. We work in noisy offices. We need silence. We need space. I remember my. Um, mentor at theological college, um, Steve Midgley, used to talk about how, uh, Eddie, when you have kids, you need to get up before them to have time with God. It wasn't an easy thing to to learn to do, and it still isn't easy. Um, They seem to get up earlier in there. (laughs) But his point was right, isn't it? Because you never seem to carve back that time. Recently, uh, I've taken, as you know, up the last year, uh, this last year, um, running in the morning at six o'clock. And it's great because it gives me time with God in prayer. Jesus got away and he prayed. Um, but notice, so that's the first thing. But notice, secondly, um, the disciples and what this meant for them. Secondly, being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. Verse 15. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Yes, of course, one of the practical things is he he appoints twelve and he gets a team, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the most important thing to notice here is is he says he appointed them that they might be with him. That they might be with him, with Jesus. Jesus. There's a sense of intimacy, of companionship, of, of uh, friendship. Jesus isn't some sort of uh, isolationist, who, uh, some sort of guru who gives instructions to his followers and off you go and away you do it. No, Jesus actually desired intimacy and, and friendship, a small community. Jesus did like to be with people so that they could enjoy him being with him, learning from him, so that he might send them out to preach, to proclaim, to be witnesses. You see, we're called first and foremost as Christians, as we're called, we're called to be with Jesus. It's so important. We are to do some, and I've coined a new word here, withing. You see what I've done, withing? (laughs) We're called to be with Jesus, And often we turn withing into doing. The withing is so important to our witness. Because it shows people that we've been with Jesus. There's a a fascinating little passage in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John have healed someone. And they're dragged before the Sanhedrin to explain what they've been up to. And it says in verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. The intimacy of companionship provided the basis for their proclamation. There's no possible way to bypass this, to bypass the intimacy with Jesus, as the foundation for living for Him, but also for serving Him. It's in the withing, it's in the companionship, in the intimacy, that is the basis for living life, and living life with all its pressures and everything that goes on in it. It's the life that says, "I have met with the Master." Won't you come and meet him too? If you're a Christian here this morning, it's the very basis of our discipleship, of everything about our disciples. Jesus called me and I heard his call and I responded and I came to him and I made. he was my Lord and my saviour. He's my friend. I spend time with him. I spend time building a relationship with him. He speaks to me through his words as his spirit takes his word and plants it deep in my heart. Charles um, Spurgeon, um, a famous minister, wrote, we know of no cure for the love of evil in a Christian like daily communion with the Lord Jesus. And then he says, be often with him. Be often with him. If you want to stop sinning or you want your life to be transformed, spend time with Jesus. If you want to stop, um, I don't know, watching something that you maybe shouldn't be watching or doing something that you shouldn't really be doing, what's the antidote for it? Spend time with Jesus. Know that he's there right with you. Know that he's with you in your marriage. Know that he's with you at your desk. Know that he's with you at your home. Know that he's with you at every aspect of your life because he, you are with him. Intimacy with Jesus provides us with the basis for saying anything to anyone worthwhile about Jesus. Our job is to share, is, you know, our job is not to kind of share Um, 12 basic principles for good living or whatever it might be 10 steps for the history of the Western Christianity something as exciting as that no what are we there to do we're there to say to people you know Jesus called me and I answered and I am with him he is with me and he's changed my life He's changed me from the inside out. He's told me who I am and why I'm here. I know him. And you know what? I'd love you to know him too. You know, I often think what's so difficult for us about introducing somebody to Jesus is perhaps because we don't view Jesus as a friend as well, that he is with us. I mean, what's so difficult about introducing a friend? Well, It's difficult if you're either embarrassed by him or you forget that the friend is actually with you all the time. How many of us are introducing friends to Jesus? How concerned are we that intimacy we have with Jesus should be shared? I don't say that um, to make anyone feel guilty. Just share that to exhort us as we grow in our outreach. I say that to myself. Because you might be here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And this all sounds a bit strange, it's a bit weird. He's with you? (laughs) You know? Of course, He's not physically um, with us. Jesus is with us by His Spirit, He's left us His Spirit. And every Christian believer knows this and has heard his voice and responded to his voice voice, and knows that God is with us in Jesus by his spirit. They've heard the good news of Jesus Christ who's called us to turn to him in repentance and in faith. And then finally and briefly, thirdly, the team. Verse 16 these are the 12 he appointed. Jesus manages um, pressure by uh, appointing a team. It, it's very practical in many ways. Um, but notice the team that he chooses. This, the estimated range and age of these, of the disciples isn't exactly known, but it's thought to be that somewhere between the youngest being about 16 and the oldest being about 30. Um, they're quite young, aren't they, to be Jesus' team? How likely are we to think that they might succeed? How likely are we in this church ready to entrust the mission and ministry to a group of 16 to 30 year olds? But that in a sense is what we need to do, isn't it, as a, as a church in order to grow the next generation, which is part of our vision. I want to end with this fictitious um, People, some of you who are involved in business and uh, um, uh, consultancy may have heard of OPQs. OPQs, Occupational Personality Questionnaires. uh, And this is a fictitious one um, from the Judean Management Consultancy given on the 12 disciples that Jesus is putting forward as his followers to preach the good news. They respond by saying, Dear sir, thank you for submitting the 12 men you have handpicked for management. All have taken our questionnaire. We've run tests with psychologists and vocational consultants. It is our opinion that most candidates are lacking in the basic edu- education and aptitude for the type of work, they do not have a team concept. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable, given to fits of great highs and great lows, especially around small farm animals. Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty, and Thomas shows a sceptical attitude that would undermine morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by the Jerusalem CBI. Simon the Zealot shows radical leanings. One candidate shows great ability, who is resourceful, meets people well, has entrepreneurial skills, is good with figures, highly motivated and ambitious. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your CEO. You get the point though, don't you? Judas is at the very bottom of every list in the New Testament. He's a sober reminder of just how close you can be to Jesus and yet still be lost. And then on the other hand, you've got Simon Peter, who's at the very top of of every list in the New Testament. And a a reminder, and a wonderful reminder, that you can really muck up (laughs) You can really mess up and still be a follower of Jesus and still be used greatly in his mission. We might feel, given the pressure we face, that we have little to offer. You might feel that you have little to offer, that we are unlikely to succeed. But see here what the Lord does with just 12 Uneducated, unschooled, young men. It's no different for us as we hear his call and come. So, Jesus, the man under pressure. Jesus, the man under pressure, pressing down on him, no man asked for. We need to get away with him. We need some alone time in prayer. We need to be with Jesus. Remember that he's with us, being dependent on him. And we need to share in ministry with others. God, our Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us here this morning. And Father, we pray that we will remember when we feel under pressure, we pray that we remember the pressures that Jesus faced. And we thank you for the way that ultimately he took the pressure for us on the cross when he died for us in our place, so that the pressure may be taken off us, that we may know true freedom, freedom from sin and death, so that we might live and serve you, that we might be with you. Please help us to know this and to live in it, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.